This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thorn Podcast. How are things going for you, Frank? Um, good. I'm uh, actually quite enjoying winter for a change. I usually hate winter, but uh, it's actually a good time now, spending more time with my grandson, which is wonderful, so I'm forced to, to do that, and... Um, I can't complain. And you? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get out. The winter has not really hit us full force yet in Colorado. We, um, we've we got a little bit of snow, just enough to make it fun to go walking out in the backcountry. So I've been going for some hikes out in the woods. Uh, and I always love doing that. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, well, my daughter is uh, obsessed about getting her little son out every day, twice a day at least. So forces me to get outside, which is good. Got to keep his vitamin D up <laughs> and yours. Okay. So, all right, let's get into the main topic for this week. Uh, we, we actually have a combination of two topics we wanted to talk about, the overlap, the and that would be sarcopenia and osteopenia. So, Frank, I wonder if uh, maybe you could define what those terms mean uh, you know, into kind of a general concept for our audience. Sure. So we'll start with sarcopenia. Sarcopenia means a loss of some muscle mass. Usually happens as we get older. And what people don't realize is, you know, as we get older, we lose some muscle. And people think, well, muscle is just really all about power and being able to walk around and get up from sitting, etc., etc. But muscle is actually um, has a lot of metabolic functions as well, and I think that's important. So apart from, um, you know, as you get older, apart from the fact that when you lose some muscle mass and it's harder to, to get around and, and function, you're also losing a metabolic uh, or, or some metabolic function. And that becomes more important as you get older as well, and I think most people don't realize that and don't understand that you know my feeling is muscle is a very has a very important metabolic functions and that's not even talked about much in in medicine what's your take on that oh yeah i think it's extremely important i mean we know as we get older the risk of diabetes goes up of type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance and Part of it is the, the sugar load in the body. Where are you sopping up most of that sugar? It's the liver and the muscle. So if you don't have the muscles being metabolically active to burn fat and sugar, where is it going to go? It's going to stay in the bloodstream and poison our tissue. Which brings us to an important question I'm hoping you can address. Is sarcopenia something that happens in really frail, skinny people? Or can you be overweight and have sarcopenia? No, it can happen in, in, 
it, in fact, uh, it often happens in, in overweight people. So it's definitely not just frail, skinny people. I mean, that was a point I was trying to make. We assume that frail, skinny people are the only people with this loss of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it's extremely common as we get older. And I think one of those things that's easily addressed with exercise and you know strength training and I sort of fit into that category. I'm a little bit lazy, you know. I don't mind going on my bike and walking, but I just don't do enough strength training. And as the two of us are old farts, Bob, I think strength training <laughs> and building muscle mass becomes more important as you get older. And that's one of the things that I just need to like keep reminding myself how important it is. I have to um, say that I was having this exact discussion with a patient the other day who's a Pilates instructor, and she's in her 60s, and she was saying, you know, I really have to work harder than I did when I was younger to maintain the same kind of strength and agility. And I explained to her that this is a phenomenon we call sarcopenia. I said, well, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but when you get older, it is more difficult to maintain your muscle mass. That's just the way it is. And we don't understand all of the uh, the factors involved, but probably hormones have something to do with it. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it's, it's partly a matter of working out less. You know, we get older, we have more things going on, grandchildren to take care of, that sort of thing. So spending two hours a day in the gym is not is not what you're going to be doing. So the lack of uh, of exercise may explain some of it, but even people that work out can still get sarcopenia. Right. So, which brings me to what I always find a big dilemma in in aging, and you know what we do to to age well, because as we know, we we should decrease at some stage. Let's say we get into our forties or fifties, we need to decrease the amount of animal protein. We eat if we want to decrease the amount of mTOR, which is one of those longevity genes. Um, So theoretically, if you want to decrease your mTOR, you decrease some animal protein and you're going to age well. But on the flip side is, you know, if you're going to decrease some animal protein and as you get older and you start losing some muscle mass because animal protein would be one way to help with, with increasing muscle mass, you have this dilemma. So you, 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 you want animal protein to increase the muscle mass, but you don't want too much animal protein to trigger your mTOR. What's your take on that sort of dilemma? Because that's a dilemma that I face all the time and I struggle with. Well, it's a, it's a great question. We know that one of the main amino acids that activate mTOR is leucine. And methionine, right? Yeah, yeah, leucine and methionine. But leucine is what you find in branched-chain amino acids. Now, there have been some great studies on people that have lost muscle mass, and I think some of the earlier studies were in people with HIV that had muscle wasting from HIV, and they found that when they gave them branched-chain amino acids that were rich in leucine, it helped them rebuild muscle mass. And so the same strategy has been used in older individuals that have lost muscle mass. So that's a little bit of a paradox because, as you said, you know, we often tell people, if you want to live longer, then maybe you should not be eating a lot of leucine. And that's the that's the whole theory behind the fasting mimicking diet is that it's leucine 
restricted. Right. But I'm not sure, you know, if I have an older individual that's lost muscle mass, I'm not so sure that, that restricting leucine is a great idea. I'm more inclined to go along the lines of giving them the branched chain amino acids, which I recommend a lot. Right. In fact, there's special formulations of branched chain amino acids, you know, that were specifically designed to prevent the loss of muscle mass. So I'm I'm a big fan, you know, we call it amino complex. And it's a really easy thing to supplement. The way I work with that is I suggest people between, let's say, 45 and 60 or 50 and 65, before you start losing too much muscle mass, then decreasing animal protein is a good idea. And plant protein has a different amino acid profile, so you don't have as much methionine and leucine, so that may be a good idea. But as you start getting into your 60s, I think getting back on some you know, if you don't want to do animal protein, you know, what what's your take on collagen? Because supposedly collagen would be, a, um, in my understanding, is sort of this balanced or not balanced, but sort of a compromise. It's not so high in leucine and, and methionine, but it, it does have some. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not sure how well the, the connection is established between collagen and muscle mass. I think there's some pretty good studies on collagen and skin health and wound healing. And so I do recommend collagen to people who say they, you know, they feel like their skin is getting older more quickly. You know, I, I think there's some data on that. Have you seen studies on collagen protein for, for improving muscle mass? I have not, no. Yeah. So, I mean, I do use it. I do recommend it sometimes for people. But but again, I'm more inclined to go with the branch chain aminos just because it's a lot more specific. Now, when, you know, I have older people that live alone, they, they've lost their appetite, they don't want to eat that much, then, um, you know, I certainly think having a, a plant-based protein supplement every day is not a bad idea. Yeah, which is what I do. I have a you know pea protein yep. daily, so to so just to make sure that my protein intake is good. And it's not that I don't eat animal protein; I just don't eat as much as I used to. So it behooves all of us, all of us old farts, to do more strength training. More strength training. Now, the other thing I would throw out before we move on to osteopenia and osteoporosis is that. There is a supplement called hydroxymethylbutyrate or HMB that I think is terrific. It actually prevents breakdown of muscle, so it's and it's got data on it for preserving muscle mass in older people. The dose is about two grams a day. It's inexpensive. I know a lot of a- younger athletes that use it to bulk up, but I'd say I actually use it more in older people along with the branch chain aminos. The amino complex. So it's a, it's a nice combination for people that are already working out. They're already doing kind of the basic exercise. Great. That's a good tip. As sarcopenia is a, is a loss, of, you know, when you start to lose some muscle mass, osteopenia is the beginning of starting to lose some bone and osteoporosis is sort of a more extreme, you know, the more extreme version of that. As far as I understand it, osteopenia and you know, there's sort of osteopenia has more is more related to the osteoclast and also the balance of these cells that build muscles and cells that break down muscles and 
The blast and the class. The, yeah, the blast and the class. And inflammation here is more of a factor than it is with sarcopenia. Inflammation triggering the osteoclast to to sort of overreact to over to be overactive and break down mus uh, break down bones a little bit more. So the way I understand it is um, osteopenia is more. You know, once again, you know, we, we can't separate the bone and muscles aren't separate from the rest of the body. But the, the bone aspect, the osteopenia as opposed to sarcopenia is more connected to inflammation in the body, which also increases as we get older. I mean, both of you, as we get older, we tend to have more osteopenia and, and sarcopenia, but osteopenia may be more related to inflammation, which is going to increase as you, you get older than sarcopenia is is that would you agree with that yeah i think i think you're absolutely correct that that and the acid base balance in the body seems to be a huge influence which is i find this is interesting because the endocrinologist and the uh the orthopedist the bone specialist you know my patients will sometimes see are very quick to prescribe drugs for osteopenia and osteoporosis Instead of saying what led to this, you know, what are the metabolic conditions or hormonal conditions that led to it? Oh, you've got, we did a bone scan, your bone density is low. Here, uh, we're going to put you on uh, a bisphosphonate, which, uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm totally against those drugs, right. but as the first response, that seems like kind of a knee jerk thing. Exactly, which is sort of the way we see the body in Western medicine. You know, you've got a, you know, the oil light goes on, just put a bandaid over the oil light. So how do you, you know, when you see someone who has osteopenia, what is your thinking? What do you do? Well, I mean, the very first thing I do is get back to the exercise, but then it's specifically weight-bearing exercise. Right. I'm a big fan of mini trampolines. There's, there's pretty good data on them. They're easy on the knees. A lot better than, say, jumping rope or doing jumping jacks. You know, why am I talking about that kind of exercise? Because it's working out against gravity. Who gets osteopenia at an early age? Astronauts, right? When when they're up in space, right. they're, you know, they're working out on the space station. They've got a treadmill. They're keeping their cardiovascular system intact, but they lose bone. And why do they lose bone? Because of the lack of gravity. So when they work out, you've got to be working out against gravity, jumping up and down. So swimming is fabulous exercise. It's my favorite exercise, but it, it doesn't do that much for your bones, right? And and I don't even know if biking uh, does no. that much for your bones. But no, I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, good brisk walks, uh, but jumping up and down where you get that increased gravitational pull and, and many tramps. Love many tramps. Yeah. I Thank you. I actually have one in the garage. I need to put it out. It used to mess up my knee. I actually got one for myself, but it used to bother my knee, so I stopped doing it. But I need to get my wife to actually start doing it. You can she... do a good workout on a mini tramp. No, no, it's damn difficult. Absolutely, yeah. So that's the first so, thing I do. And then I want to look at their, their overall diet, make sure that they're not eating junk food because we know that the junk food, that too much sugar, and as we've already mentioned, animal protein, sugar and animal protein create a, a negative acidic imbalance in the body that makes the bones lose calcium. One of the worst things people can do is drink soda, not, you know, not mineral water, not sparkling mineral water, but 
carbonated sugary beverages, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, pop. Really, what probably the worst thing for your bones is to drink Coca-Cola and, and Pepsi. And, and then obviously the nutrients become more and more important because there's an increased need for certain nutrients um, as you start getting osteopenic or even osteoporotic. And you know the standard Western approach is here's some calcium. Now yep. they're starting to recognize some vitamin D, but there, there are many other nutrients. I mean, it's as if all the bones need are calcium and maybe vitamin D, ignoring all the other nutrients that are necessary, like, like magnesium, strontium, yep. um, manganese. But so what, what nutrients do you use? Obviously, there's calcium, which I, I love do. vitamin K. Yes, K and vitamin D, very important. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of vitamin K for many reasons. Heart, bone, just being two of them. Yeah. And, and so many people are deficient. It's really easy to get deficient in K. You know, you, you can't get some from, from green leafy vegetables. But if a person's got osteoporosis, I recommend a supplement. I usually use the vitamin K2 form MK7, which is yep. it's actually derived from natto. That ar- the argument always comes back to, well, can't you just get it from food? And my response is, have you ever eaten natto? Right. <laughs> have you ever tried to eat natto? It's a it's the ultimate test of whether you're an authentic Japanese. That's, I was told that <laughs> by a Japanese waiter in a restaurant once. He said, this is how we know if you're authentic Japanese is whether you can eat, you know, the traditional natto, which is to get a, a raw egg yolk. And you put a, this blob of natto, which is this kind of gray blob on top of that. And then you, you eat it. It's the gooeyest, stickiest thing you've ever seen. And you'd have to eat that every day. Or you can take a vitamin K2, MK7 supplement. You know, about 90 micrograms a day is the kind of minimal dose. I think it's 90 to 180 a day. And it's the perfect complement to calcium. So calcium, I see, kind of builds the foundation. But calcium by itself isn't going to cure osteoporosis, right? So I don't use massive amounts of calcium. I just use, say, around 800 milligrams a day, you know, sometimes a 1,000. But I usually don't go higher than that. And I use the dicalcium malate, which is a very, very well-absorbed calcium. It's got more calcium in it per weight than calcium citrate. So that dicalcium malate, called, sometimes called dimacal, I find a terrific form of, magnesium, of, of, of calcium. And then I use magnesium with that, as we mentioned. Yep. I either like the you know, magnesium glycinate or the magnesium malate, about 100 milligrams of that. And then the K2, the vitamin D, certainly important. And then there's a lot of other accessory nutrients as well. So it's, as you said, it's the whole shebang that we yeah. need to to go with. So we got to take a short break now, and when we get back, we'll take some questions about all this. Tired of bloating, gas, and other digestive discomfort? Help keep your gut happy and healthy with premium probiotics, digestive enzymes, and other innovative solutions by Thorne to support optimal gut health. One example is Thorne's Floramin Prime Probiotic. This shelf-stable and stomach acid-resistant probiotic blend offers everyday GI and weight management support. Take control of the health of your gut. 
Visit Thorne.com to explore probiotics, digestive enzymes, and other ways to support a happy and healthy gut. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. And we're back. So now it's time to answer questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, well, how can you tell if you have sarcopenia? Frank? Oh, that's pretty simple. I mean, if you, you, you're probably going to feel it first. You won't have the same amount of power when you exercise and strength. And as it gets worse, you can actually see it and you become a little bit more disabled and, disabled and fragile. Um, you may even theoretically see it in your blood glucose numbers, in your metabolic profile. But I think the, the earliest sign is that you have less strength in than you used to. And if you really want it confirmed, you can do a, an MRI of the muscles. And interestingly enough, what they show is that muscle is being replaced with fat, right? So it's the thing that makes for a juicy steak for the you know people right. out there that are meat eaters. A juicy steak is marbled with fat, and that's actually what's going on with muscles and sarcopenia is that the muscle tissue is being replaced with fat. The muscle cells are filling up with fat, and you can see that on an MRI scan of the muscle. So, you know, some of the more high-end anti-aging clinics do a, a regular muscle scan to show that. Right. So I'll ask you the same question about osteopenia. It's another question from... Our community, how can you tell if you have osteopenia? Well, unlike sarcopenia, where you have symptoms, with osteopenia, you usually don't know it, right? You, there's nothing you can feel that tells you there's a difference with your bones. So the best way to find out if you've got it is to do a, a DEXA scan, a dual absorption uh, X-ray absorptiometry. You know, I, I do those scans on my patients pretty regularly. It's one of my favorite kind of screening tests to do for women in their 50s. And I've started doing it more for men. I've been surprised at how many men get osteopenia, which is a you know a little bit harder to explain because the, the kind of classic thought about osteopenia is that that's what happens after menopause when your estrogen levels drop. But you know what's going on with the men, I think it's a little bit less clear. Anyway, if you want to know if you've got it, then a DEXA bone scan is the way to go. So uh, what's the difference in osteopenia and osteoporosis? I guess that was kind of an extension of what I'm talking about with, with scans, but what's the, what's the practical implication of the difference? Well, the difference is it's just the degree of, of bone loss. So osteopenia will be early and, and not so bad, and osteoporosis would be further down the line. And, and you, you know, the, the, the consequences are you're much more prone to fractures. So that once you start having osteoporosis, it becomes more of a, a, a serious issue to address. And obviously, yes, you start addressing it with, with diet and nutrients and lifestyle. But if that isn't working, and you know, I'm not one for medications, especially the, the drugs used for osteoporosis, but if I have a 60-year-old woman and we've, you know, she's changed her diet and she's exercising, she's doing all the right things, and the osteoporosis is not getting better, then I am, you know, I am all for using, not that I use it myself, but I send them to an endocrinologist who works with this. And, you know, I would be all for 
that particular patient doing one of the drugs. I think the drugs are becoming better and and less or, or more benign. But I think if you've got bad osteoporosis and it's not responding to lifestyle, diet, supplements, exercise, then I think you definitely need to consider one of these drugs because you don't want to, you know, as you get older, you just don't want to fracture your femur or whatever it is. Well, I've certainly seen that in people who are otherwise healthy and then they go out and step off the curb, uh, you know, improperly and take a fall and break their hip and that sort of thing can put an end to a person's life, right? So, you know, you we tend to think, oh, a bone fracture, well, I broke my wrist, I need to wear a cast, it's no big deal, but a hip fracture can be life-threatening. Yeah, and I've, I've seen too many, you know, healthy women break their hips and they just go downhill after it. So it's one of those areas where I'm all for medication if everything else has failed. And, and, uh, and now it seems like from what I see in my patient, there, there's some of these newer drugs that they get once a year or twice a year that don't seem to be as problematic as the older ones. Is that your experience too or, or, or not? I mean, I don't know enough about it, Bob, but that seems to be what my experience. Yeah, I, 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 I can't say that I'm an expert in them. Suddenly there's been an explosion of them. Yeah. Several of them basically are mimics of parathyroid hormone, right? And there, I think there's been concerns that they might increase the risk of certain cancers, but... I think that's mostly in laboratory animals, so it's hard to say what happens in humans. I, I will say that I, having had this discussion with a number of patients, uh, I do get pushback from people who say, I don't want to take any drugs yeah. you know, at, at any cost. And they're saying, well, you know, what else can I do? You know, and those are the people that I'm going to have a more aggressive exercise program, have them on a really strict diet. Uh, the drugs may be getting better and may be getting safer, but I still have a lot of people that say, I just don't want to do them. I don't trust them. Yeah. Then I, I have the same discussions with my patients. I, I'm just so scared of, you know, I've just seen so many women over the years, older women who are vital and then they fracture a hip and that's sort of... And it puts of, them down. Yeah. So I'm I'm just always scared of that. Okay. So next question is, is sarcopenia and osteopenia genetic? Well, I do think there's a, yeah, I think there's a genetic component to both of them. Uh, I don't, I suspect it's not just one gene. No, and, and, and this 3X4 genetic test that I'm doing actually has a number of genes that affect bone health. And they do a whole, you know, part of their profile is determining bone health. And it's how these genes work together as well. So it's not just one gene, there are a number of genes and how these genes interact with each other, which determine your bone health. So you can determine, actually, or, or get an idea if you're, if you're going to be predisposed to osteopenia. I'm not so sure about the sarcopenia, how, how, how much the genetic component is. I'm sure there is, but there definitely seems to be a, a genetic component to the, the bone part, to the osteopenia. Countless times I've had women tell me, well, my mother had bad osteoporosis and her mother had, you know, her mother had a hip fracture at an right. early age. So you, you hear that a lot. You don't hear it as much with sarcopenia. And I think that's just because people haven't been tracking it. Yeah. You know, it's sarcopenia is not one of these common diagnoses. Everybody knows about their bone density, 
But who's really thinking about their muscles? They're just saying, hey, I'm weaker than I used to be. But they don't realize it's a real condition, right? And right. I, I wonder, as that as it gets more into the popular lexicon, as people talk more about sarcopenia, if they might be saying, hey, I, I heard my, my mother talk about this, or I heard my father talk about that. So I, I think we'll find out more about the genetics of it in the future. So when do you treat osteopenia or sarcopenia? And, you know, that I, right. I guess that's a little bit different than saying, when would you prevent them? Maybe we should expand that question and say, you have an active prevention program. You, you know, you wrote a book on age management. So is that something people should be yeah. considering early? Yeah, it's like everything else. The earlier you treat anything, the easier it is to reverse. You know, I, th I see this all as a spectrum. The earlier you can treat on that spectrum before it becomes a problem, the easier it is to reverse. So obviously, the earlier you, the better. And, you know, I see this cutoff at 40, when, you know, up to 40, you're growing and reproducing and getting strong. After 40, it's more preserving. So from 40 years on, I think we start becoming aware of these things and uh, the, the, the muscles and bones become sort of two of those organs that you need to protect. So, yeah, I think from 40s, not necessarily treated, but you start preventing and just becoming aware of the factors that, that can cause the problems and prevent the problems. So you're saying that these are somewhat part and partial of normal aging? Yes, absolutely. And everybody should be expecting to get some degree of both of them. Exactly. And how much is determined by how you live your life. So uh, is it ever too late? If you're 70 years old ne and never you want to bulk up, it's never, never too late. Never, never too late. I think that's a, something to remember with aging. You know, they've done they've actually lots of studies of people in their 70s and 80s, for instance, starting to exercise and, and building muscle mass. So for sarcopenia in particular, it's never, never too late. You know, osteoporosis, obviously... As we were talking earlier, it becomes a little, it's a little bit trickier. But but in terms of will lifestyle alone do it? But with sarcopenia, for sure, it's never too late to start exercising. You know, I just uh, there's a I think we might have talked about this before, but David Attenborough, he's 93 years old, and he still seems really agile and spry and has an alert mind, etc. I think it's just from staying active. Right. In fact, I just saw a documentary. Did you see that documentary on? Yeah, about uh, a life on planet Earth. Yes, I think it's called. and he was yeah, he was a narrator, and it was incredible, actually. Yeah. Yeah, folks, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Frank, once again for sharing this podcast with me. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.